On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, hey, they've always got the good oil. Today you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. Yeah, welcome back to Sky Sports Radio. It is time for Monday's Experts, and it's a new little segment we're going to be... Uh, giving a bit of a run over the winter periods when racing is not as busy as it always is on a Monday. It's an opportunity for us to chat with a lot of the characters in our racing game, and a lot of those characters actually already work at Sky Racing. We see them all the time. We see them giving the tips, the mounting yard information, and speaking uh, upstairs on television or radio, but there's so much more behind that particular 30, 40 seconds we hear them or see them. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity to find out a little bit about the history of some of our characters. Now, some of our audience will already know some of these stories as they've been interviewed before in the past, but to our younger audience listening across New South Wales, it's an opportunity to find out a little bit about some of our guests over the coming weeks. And our first guest I've had the pleasure of working with for a number of years at Sky Racing, and I must admit, from watching this gentleman in my lounge room growing up to then sitting beside him nearly every Saturday for well, the Winx era. I got to watch all those races with the great man sitting beside me and Andrew Martin. It's uh, something that I will cherish forever. And I speak of Tony Brassel, who joins us. as our first Monday expert. Good morning, TB. How are you, mate? I'm really well, Dave. And uh, the only way is up after we kick off with the first show in this series. But uh, <laughs> I tell you what, we can, uh, we can spend probably... 52 weeks of the year just concentrating on the Sky tipsters. When you go into the into the Sky website to put your tips in, it just goes on and on and on, the number of tipsters that we've got in the database there. It's amazing. It is an incredible uh, stable we have, and each of those individuals have their own story. And I wanted to talk to you about your journey, and then we'll get into some other stuff in, in regards to racing at the back end of the interview. But I'm very keen to know when did it all start obviously we know well some of you uh, our listeners might know that obviously tony's father was involved in the racing game and involved in media but not every son growing up wants to follow in the footsteps of their father was it or was it sort of just you know you were you were locked in and that was where you boys were going to go be involved with the great game of horse racing yeah well that's right mum and uh, uh, dad and mums uh, produced five colts and uh, in a way we were all just um indoctrinated especially by dad of course tom he uh, held the same position as ray thomas does these days he was the racing editor or became the racing editor of the daily mirror at that time and dad had just come back from the races and tell us those stories we'd be taken to the races as kids and no chance of escape Dave. that's all there was to it we were just indoctrinated as to the the ways of horse racing but you once you became aware of it and you know started to understand it you wouldn't want it any other way mate it's a fantastic life it must have been uh, pretty special back in the day i mean now if we see a race i mean we can watch it here on our phone uh we can see twitter you know what lizzie's pick of the yard is straight away or what your tips are but back then it would have been a totally different world in reporting on racing for your father and even for the start of your career yeah, 100% right. Um, you know, I kicked off at the sportsman. Kenny Callender was my first boss. But in a way, racing was structured entirely different in that era. We're talking, say, the 70s, 80s. And, um, well, you basically just had two metropolitan meetings a week, a Saturday and a Wednesday. 
and there was a provincial meeting on the Thursday. It was all set in stone, and there was no Sunday racing at all. So the social life, in a way, was uh, much more pronounced. Like, we'd played cricket games against the jockeys, uh, you know, families against the jockeys, and there'd be the racing riders team and Hawkesbury Race Club would have a team, Kembla. Uh, Mums and his family, they'd get out there on Sundays. We'd all play cricket together with 18-gallon kegs uh, in tow, and there was actually no breathalyzer in those days. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a different story. You know, it's uh, wall-to-wall yeah. racing, isn't it? It is. It is full-on. What about um, the way in which you reported on the races? Because I was lucky enough to, over the championships, uh, jump in that press room. Uh, the old press room and the uh, the members, the old members stand there at Royal Randwick, and you see the, you know, the different booths areas for the, you know, the Sydney Morning Herald, mm. um, the Telly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, let's even say for the start of your career, I mean, how did you produce the racing news? How did you get that information in the paper? Because there was no internet. No, there was no internet, and the stories actually came from the track over the phone. You called the story to a copy taker. And uh, there was no sort of wireless delivery of the stories at all. You just picked up the phone and dictated the story to um, to a copy taker. Uh, sometimes you'd have to spell the names of the horses to them. They were unfamiliar. They'd always have the tab sheets. But, uh, yeah, that, it was a different world in that sense where times uh, things took a lot more time to be delivered. And as a result, uh, as a young journal, you only had one race per meeting to concentrate on, and the rest of the time you were punting and sometimes in the bar. But uh, <laughs> how different is it now? Like, you know, it's Ray Thomas and a couple of his cohorts, but, yeah, that's the way the stories are delivered, so entirely different. Uh, just a little aside as far as one of the first stories I ever dictated to a copy taker was the race... Uh, before the AJC Derby, uh, I'm talking oh, through the uh, early 80s, I think it was, and the News Limited press room was different to the Fairfax press room, but the News Limited one was basically at the top of the, the home straight as they went out of the home straight. And um, I dictated my story, umming and ahhing, got it over the line, and lo and behold, the Derby started, so I've raced out to watch the Derby, but I couldn't get a spot in the press room, so I've had to watch it head on down the straight. And lo and behold, there's Double Century taking Dulcify out, maybe about six or seven horses off the inside fence. And you just thought, well, well this protest is odds on to be uphill. So I've raced down to one of the leading bookies at the time, Cole Tidy, and uh, he's bet me seven to two. Uh, the, uh, the protest being upheld, as it was, it was just a mozza. There was no doubt of it being upheld. And uh, he went on to become one of the best horses we've ever seen, Dulcify. Yeah. And and back in those days, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was two papers a day? Uh, yeah, there papers? was a morning edition and an evening edition. I didn't have too much to do with those. I worked on the weekend for the... Uh, right. It was the uh, Sunday Mirror and then the Sunday Telegraph. Keith Robbins was the, the editor in those days, Kent, uh, Glenn's dad. But, yeah, it was a different setup. There was you know, a story broke from the track in the morning and Dad would be on the phone straight away dictating a story to the for the first edition of the Mirror. 
Yeah, that's incredible. The the one thing too, I, I and I, it really made me think is the immediacy of everything these days. I mean, we can you can find out what's you know going to win a particular or, or not going to win, but has won a particular race uh, straight away. Whereas you know back then, if you hadn't had missed it on the radio um, or didn't have access, well, there was no probably well there there was some form of television wasn't there with channel nine etc yeah well but... you'd have say the daily double uh through the wide world of sport on the saturday afternoon but there was no semblance of uh, racing on on tv through the course of a week all you all you do is listen to the radio guys like des Hoisted and and craig and johnny tap they'd be calling the, the races over the radio so you've you've branded into it you're loving what you're doing. Uh, what's what's been some of the the highlights of that early career, especially in, in your involvement in the press? Yeah, well, um, I, I you know, I'm patting myself on the back a little bit here, but I did see the value of uh, laser printers a long, long time ago. So in a way, I quit the sports, and when I could see the potential of desktop publishing, and I I just you know I'd worked there for about. 12 years, I think, from memory. And I just went out and set myself up in business and um, produced a boutique uh, newsletter called Clock Speed, which was faxed out in those days. And, um, you know, I had a lot of clients. Stewards took it and a lot of jockeys. And, you know, I set the scene for sectional times. I'd be sitting there timing horses down the home straight till, um, well, till all hours of the morning. And around about the same time, Graham McNeese and Brendan, Brendan Parnell approached me, wanted, wanting to see if I was interested in uh, joining the Sky Crew. And in those days, it was the launch of cable TV on the racing. And uh, yeah, you didn't, they didn't have to ask me twice. And ultimately, I had to forsake clock speed. I couldn't uh, do both, um, both justice. And it was often racing for Sky. You have you have often been, and I know this personally from working with you. The latest gadgets uh, and that new technology, you do love that. So, going back firstly to clock speed, um, and people are wondering, well, how did you do that sectional time? How did you, um, you know, use mm. what was the procedure to try and get those times? What I did was get in contact with Seiko to um, uh, see if there was a device that could measure frames per second on the on the TV. Now this technology has become enhanced with computerization or enhanced computerization, but uh, what would happen was this device would intercept the signal from the video uh, or from the TV onto the video and it would time every second, uh, breaking it down to you know, 0.25 of a second, 24 frames a second. So, um, yeah, I'd be able to, uh, you know, just time horses from the home str- from the home turn to the finish. And you'd get a little head start with horses like, say, Octagonal, Saintly, these sort of horses from a fair way back. Once you time them, you sort of thought, oh, have a look at this. It's gone enormous, this horse. Mm. So those sort of things now are commonplace. But, uh, yeah, it was sort of the... the scene setter for sectional timing in those days we're talking early 80s or so yeah that's that's fascinating so you've pioneered almost that's oh, it wasn't what just about, me there some there of was the others were doing yeah it. yeah some of the others and uh i was part of a crew that was investigating hong kong racing they didn't have the sophistication that they have these days so 
you know, the, the opportunity was there, let's put it that way. Yeah. So when I, and when I use the word pioneer, I'm talking about the, the newsletter because you were the only one doing the, the facts polling, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. No, that was something I had on on my own and you'd sort of think like now you'd probably be able to make a good go of it. There's plenty of yeah. newsletters that come out and there's good services over the internet, but in a way the, the internet hadn't flourished at that point. Mm. Uh, you know, I can remember... Uh, being online for maybe two or three hours just to download a, a browser, Netscape Navi- Navigator. That was one of the first browsers. And it just took ages to come through, oh, 28.8 bits per second or something. It was just uh, prehistoric, really. I thought you were talking about the Sky One uh, racing studio because I remember we used to have some internet problems up there when we'd be sitting there and you'd have to crack the whip. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. It made it hard to get on sometimes. Uh, okay, so Brandon Parnell and Graham McNeese approach you. Uh, cable television coming into Australia. It's exciting. Uh, I, as I said, I remember my grandfather and grandmother. They got uh, They got the cable TV put in and... It was just sky, sky, sky. So I've sort of grown up watching you. I mean, was that you said that you jumped to that opportunity straight away? Was that because it was the immediacy going into homes and an opportunity for you to to really be something that that is pretty groundbreaking yeah. when you look back at it? Yeah, well, it's it. When you like new things, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, uh, it was quite hard to resist. And uh, the Hong Kong crew I was involved with at the time, they were only just starting. Uh, their business and I sort of thought well, I'd much rather sort of get involved with guys I know and rather than chart a new territory here so we just went down the the path of Sky and in those days it was only the one channel Dave it was just the yeah. you know, Sky Sky Racing on on the one cable TV channel and you know that's where we sort of branched out and looked at different race meetings you know, maybe two three decades ago people just concentrated on one meeting. How often do we see people betting across all meetings now and the delivery's there? What were you doing when you first started at Sky Racing? Uh, well, I think it was inside running. We uh, we did have a show inside running, which sort of had permutations over the best part of 15 years, I'd imagine, uh, before we embarked on our crusade there through the Saturday afternoons. but. Yeah. Initially, it was, say, one hour per race day looking at each of the states and, and went I, through different time periods. Yeah, and, of course, um, that then led into, I remember you doing a show, Trials and Tribulations, and you've always mm-hmm. loved, you've always loved, uh, you know, dealing with these trial horses, haven't you? It's been something that you're very good at, I know that. Yeah, it, uh, it just gives you a chance to beat the market. That's the thing. Like once a horse becomes public property after a run or two, it's quite difficult to you know sneak that little horse into a race and find that you've got a much better price than what you anticipated. Uh, so yeah, sort of compare it a little bit to stealing a march on the on the public consciousness consciousness there if you mm-hmm. if you're at the trials and just the way a horse goes. I don't time horses too much these days. I'm just looking at horses, I found that um, you know, probing through times and drilling into all that stuff, even if it is fascinating, is a bit too time-consuming for me at the moment. I'd you know, much rather just sort of look at the horses and gauge them that way. Uh, the Sky Journey continues on, and now you find yourself every Saturday uh, with Andrew Martin. And, I mean, that's been groundbreaking in itself, 
for for Sky's coverage. I mean, we get your tips on several meetings. Uh, how much form would you be doing a week? Uh, almost every day, Dave. I've uh, I've never sort of really timed myself, but almost from the time you get up to the, you know, you might go for a stroll, do a bit of exercise and things like that. But um, yeah, you've just got to live and breathe it. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Is it? Um, I mean, you must you must look forward to your holidays. What makes you tick away from racing? Where's your? I know it's a bit different at the moment with uh, the borders being shut. But if you get on the plane and go anywhere with your beautiful wife Jenny, where would you mm-hmm. go? Where's your favourite uh, place? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't. Well, a few of the overseas places are great. I don't mind a place like Paris, but write your own ticket about getting there these days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've you've got uh, a. You, Go yeah, on, the mate. Coast, yeah, when we were young, Dad used to take us up the North Coast. He was a North Coast boy. He came from a place called Bellbrook up out the west of Kempsey. And, um, yeah, I don't mind going going fishing if I ever get the chance to do it at times. So that would be high on my list. And I don't Fantastic. mind flying drones, as you well know. Yes, uh, you've got the <laughs> drones. Now, what about, uh, Tony, things that make you tick away from racing? And one thing that I was wrapped when I first met you uh, your love of music. Now, I love music as well, and I mean, I've been lucky enough to go to a gig with you. I never thought, I yeah. never thought I'd go and see a band called Foles. For yeah. those out there, they're a UK band, very popular. And there's a funny story with that. I, I was going to take another gentleman from work, Andrew Hurley, and Hurls couldn't go. Unfortunately, he said, "Oh, he was crook," and I had a spare ticket. And I was working with Brassel on the Wednesday, and I just sort of said, "Oh, I've got the spare ticket to." Um, to Foles, and one thing about Tony is everything is racing related. So his reply was, "Correct weight, I'll take it." Correct weight, and I went, "Really? You'll come to Foles?" And you've always had this love of music, haven't you? Oh yeah, it's um, it's been there for a long time. It's a great distraction, or it's actually great to play in the background when you're trying to concentrate on the form. I, you know, for some reason, just don't mind putting something good in the background, and you know, you don't sort of tune right into that, but uh, just sort of. Provides a bit of a buffer for you. Have you got some, uh, you know, bands you can steer us into? Some of what's being played on high rotation while you're doing the form? Uh, well, Radiohead fan from a long way back. So, you know, that, that'd be top weight. But, yeah, just a little bit left of centre as far as my taste goes. I'd like the, the bands that are a little bit different to most people. And some of the jazz music, Miles Davis, boy, what a... Fantastic musician he was, and Jimi Hendrix. Like they're they're the two top lights as far as I'm concerned. Best uh, performance you've seen at a racetrack from a horse? Uh, well, on video, the, there'll never be a better performance than Secretariat in that um, uh, Belmont Stakes. Like he broke the track record. I think he broke the world record, and he was going so quickly the jockey couldn't pull him up. He actually broke the twenty six hundred meter record for the track after setting the 2,400-metre track uh, track record. The distance was only 2,400 metres. But uh, as far as locally, most exciting win, Chautauqua, in that third uh, TJ Smith. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was incredible uh, that day, yeah. uh, for, considering the position he was in. I know you're a big Kingston Town man as well. I mean, just what he did, with the, you always mentioned his distance uh, and his range that he was winning in. 
Well, the two best horses I reckon I've seen in the flesh were um, Kingston Town and Saintly. Um, my sort of measuring stick is the ability to demonstrate class over a variety of distances. So both of those horses were able to win it, wait for age at 1,200 metres and still win at 3,200 metres at Group 1 level. Kingston Town, alas, didn't win a Melbourne Cup, but he sure as heck won a, a Sydney Cup as a three-year-old. And uh, Saintly, of course, won the Melbourne Cup. But both horses won the Expressway Stakes, wait for age at uh, Arena, like absolute world boos. Mm. What about uh, that famous Quinella? I remember uh, watching that at school. I was watching Pop Rock and Delta Blues, and, well, that was the... Uh, I know that they brought Eye Popper the year before, I think, um, and, gee, he ran a really big race in the Caulfield Cup, Eye Popper, and Railings beat him that that particular time. But that was when the Japanese really seemed to get serious about bringing top-class horses here, and you found them. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise you were so young, Dave, but, uh, yeah, that was my best moment as far as the punt goes. And the tip, I'd have to say, if you can Quinella the Melbourne Cup, uh, yeah, it's it's not a bad performance, I suppose. But, yeah, uh, it was a very memorable day, put it that way. Yeah, I remember being on air when rekindling one as well. And remember that gentleman, there was a gentleman, the tab were running a promotion, I think, to have 10,000 on a horse and you selected rekindling as your best bet and he went that way. And Did you get a sling, anything in the mail? No, we didn't get a sling, but uh, <laughs> I'll just cop the kudos. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I enjoy, that sort of stuff, rather than, you know, earning big bucks and, you know, huge wins. It's great if you can pull it off, but, uh, you know, the, the reception you get, you know, mainly on Twitter these days, if you can chime in with a nice price winner, you know, it just uh, makes it all worthwhile, worthwhile as far as I'm concerned. I'm just there as a conduit for people that don't have the time to do the form. So you're just providing value and trying to help people out. What about uh, the phenomenon that is social media? And, I mean, obviously your Twitter's a fantastic tool for you to, to get information out there quickly. But there is uh, this, uh, you know, uh, some there's a group of guys. I think you've been in contact with them, and I think they're Adelaide-based. And they've created this Tony Brassel... Um, <laughs> what do you want to call it? I mean, what, what do you call it when they, then when something's created about someone is it is it, i don't want to call uh, parody, it a fan, parody parody account, parody parody, account. Yes. and mm. some of the stuff on there look i know that when i was working with you it could be very a bit blue probably too blue and i think the boys know that and have pulled their heads in a little bit but how does that sit with you that you're a bit of you know everyone knows who tony brassel is everyone mm. even the young guys coming through how does that make you feel that you're you're a part of you know racing history now well it makes me feel very proud but, you know, it's, in a way, it's terrific if somebody's going out there you know, launching a, a parody page like that. I, you know, I got a bit shirty with it initially because that's not the way that I conduct myself. I like to be above board at all times. And, yes. you know, the language is very blue, as you say, but uh, they did wear me down, ultimately. And, uh, you know, I typed in Donald Trump parody pages just to find out how many... People were having a chop at him. There were 3,500 parody pages. I thought, well, he's got a lot more problems than I have with only one. Mm. So I just let the guys have a crack at it. I don't you know, have much to do with Facebook. I'm much more of a Twitter fan. And 
Uh, unfortunately, I don't get enough time to put my toe in the water. It's, uh, you know, it's all embracing form. If you're going to do form the right way, I'd rather not distract myself too much with Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can see the potential of it. I absolutely love it. But I just don't have the time to um, go, tr- you know, scrolling through. The same way you do, though. I just don't have the time to have a crack at it. It's one of those things, though, Tony. I mean, and from going to a lot of these regional centres, which I've been going to, and obviously one of the beauties of doing this racing HQ and bringing a bit bit of a younger audience uh, along is, you know, a lot of these young, young boys uh, that have grown up, you know, seeing their dads and, and granddads and even the girls seeing, you know, their family members having a punt and then they will go to their local. And as I said, they all know who Tony Brassel is, mate. So you should be very proud of, mm. of, uh, mm. of that name that's come through. And, and one thing I love about uh, the, the tipping game is the first race at Randwick, you, you can be the worst bloke in the world, but they'll keep following you all day. And then that last mm. race, if you tip them the winner, oh, gee, that Tony Brassel, he's good. Yeah. He's good. He got yeah. me out. It's, it's sort of a, you, you can never win, can you? No. Well, it's, you know, as we all know on the punt, it's up and down. Uh, you win one week, you give it all back the next. But, uh, yeah, that's just the way life goes on. Uh, you've just got to weather the storm and make the best of the high points. Uh, you know, in a way, that's why Twitter is so good, because it does level the field and puts me on even par with people that want to converse with me, want to get in contact. And, you know, I can give feedback when I've got the time. I'd get very frustrated if, you know, a lot of people have inquired over certain things and you've got form to do for the next day. Well, it's sort of, what do you do here? And, you know, the priority's always got to be the form. But... Uh, yeah, you know, there's no more informative uh, vehicle, you know, on earth than Twitter as far as information goes. Boy. Before we let you go, um, there's a lot of young guys coming through Sky at the moment and uh, they all look to you and, you know, you're probably a hero in a lot of their eyes in terms of, you know, what you're doing and, and where they'd love to be. What advice would you give a young person out there listening that wants to get involved with the racing game, whatever a, a particular role it may be? Well, uh, integrity is, you know, a high point as far as I'm concerned. But as I said before, you've got to live and breathe it if you're going to make a go of it. So, you know, I've probably overcorrected. You do really have to immerse yourself in, you know, the mechanics of the whole thing. And it won't happen uh, straight away. As we all know, things like this do take time to absorb and, you know, the fundamentals of it. Uh, just a little quick aside, I, I'd suggest people should pay more attention to breeding. Uh, it can take time, you know, getting a grasp of it. But uh, horses aren't just horses and numbers. There's a physical flesh and blood aspect of it that comes back to genetics. And, you know, the smart trainers and yielding judges, they don't go out there and just pick any old horses. A lot of research that goes into the selection of horses and quite often they're spot on, those sorts of guys. Tony, it's been wonderful chatting with you this morning. Thanks for being our first guest on Monday Experts. Could talk to you for hours, mate, but, uh, yeah, well, well done on how it's all going and continue to going. Enjoy a little break coming up and get ready for a big spring ahead. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dave. Just one thing, I was going to mention a horse to follow. I, oh, yes. I thought you'd ask me that. Um, there was a, a, a horse called Silver Bullet Lady I saw <laughs> at, um, 
Are you being? Are you, are you geeing up? You're geeing up, aren't you? <laughs> Too good. Too good. You nah, well, we'll go for a local one, Davey. Uh, I thought um, Deanne Andretti, that full sister to Libertini, yes. Ronnie Quinton's filly. Ronnie Quinton. Yeah, Andrew Atkins Rota. You'd probably get the inside goss there. Serious horse. We'll have to watch. It was a very good win at Hawksby. Thanks for coming on, Tony. Really appreciate it, mate. Thanks a lot, Dave.